with approval of agenda. There are a big list of uh, items to the discussion. We have a guest here uh, from uh, Chuck. You can give us the order to go. Yes. Thank you, sir. Um, is there any amendment, any changes that we need to make in the agenda? Um, one calendar item. Yes, the vision, Discovery Charter School will embrace a multidisciplinary curriculum with an emphasis on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics to provide a challenging learning environment that values creativity, diversity, and multiculturalism to prepare its students for lifelong learning, collaboration, critical thinking, and problem solving. Mission Statement. Discovery Charter School's mission is to prepare students to become excellent questionnaires, scientific thinkers, and responsible citizens. Students will work respectfully and collaboratively applying scientific, techno technological, and mathematical concepts and principles to develop a strong work ethic and critical thinking skills needed to solve problems in the real world and to prepare them for future academic success. Thank you. The next agenda item we have is community comments. So we would like to, I only get one for parent that or community member who want to comment. Uh, so how, how we would divide it is uh, we'll have the parent speak up and, and share the, his uh, or her thought. And then I would like at least one or two minutes from the candidates that applied for the uh, board membership uh, to introduce themselves. And then to the five or six minutes that I have is um, there was an email from one of the respected parent uh, community, Penny, that I would like to respond as a, on the behalf of the board. Uh, so um, we can go with the commentary. So Penny, you have some concern or share? I do. Thank yeah. you. Hi, I'm Penny. Hi. I'm sorry. I'm, um, I love that you guys are volunteers, and I love that you guys are volunteering your time to do this. So um, please take my comments with the um, intent of making sure that we continue to grow and improve, okay? Um, one, and I have seven points, and I'll go through them very quickly. The first one has an action item or a request from you. But um, we talked last week, I, I brought to your attention some of the open meeting law violations that you guys had violated in the month before. I would like to bring to your attention the violations that you have done in the last 30 days since the last board meeting. Um, I bring this to your attention because I want to make sure that um, we don't do them anymore. And the point being is that I understand that we're volunteers, but that does not absolve us from following the law or the bylaws. So the purpose of open meeting law from the state of Minnesota is that we back here have awareness of what you are doing. So whether you guys are meeting in person, on the phone, or um, in email, if you are ever having a quorum, that's a public meeting, and that must be noticed. And we have a right to know what that is. So in my 
um, opinion. Um, the first violation was when you met on Monday to interview the candidates and the candidates came to speak. That should have been noticed as a public meeting. It would have been an under, there's only three kinds of meetings. It would have been a special meeting with the intent to have a dialogue with the board candidates that were running for the position. Um, you didn't notice that meeting, that's a violation of open meeting law. If in um, Farouk's um, response to my email that will be forthcoming, um, engaged the board to understand and collaborate and understand what the answer is, that too is a violation of open meeting law. Um, anytime you five or a quorum, so you three are interacting, that is considered a meeting, that means that we have the right to listen and understand what's going on. I'm, I don't know about other people, but I would be more than happy to come to this board meeting and listen to a dialogue progress about how to answer this question. But to have it in behind closed doors is a violation of the law. The action item I have for that is that um, there is open meeting law training that is um, delivered by the Department of Administration's department of, called um, IPAD. And I'm keeping an eye open. And the action item is that I would like you to amend the agenda so that when the next training is opened, that you are able to register and approve the registration for the seven people to attend. Um, I attended it last year in January. I'm, I'm guessing there'll be another one in the next three or four months. It's $100 per person to attend. But I don't want to hear excuses anymore for not following that law. So I, we've gone through it twice. It's a very short law. It is simple as you don't get to have conversations without us being aware of what's going on. Okay, number two. Um, um, was I want answers to the emails that I sent. I sent a number of different questions. Um, thank you. Um, I reminded you too if I didn't want it to go a third meeting because some of them are now two meetings old. Um, number three, that I would like to suggest that the board consider doing an oath of office when new board members are appointed. Um, in reviewing the Discovery Charter School and NEO Charter School contract, that was signed um, back in like January of 2014. Um, I think Tamar is the only one that's still on the board from that time. But in that contract, all board members had to sign the oath of office. But since then, I've not seen anything about oath of office when new board members come. Um, it is, while I know that we're not members of Minnesota Association of Charter Schools, it is a recommendation that you do it in many places do. Um, number four, um, as a parent, I didn't attend on Monday because I didn't have a voting on who um, the board um, seats for the role, but I would like to publicly acknowledge that I support the three candidates that stepped forward for that role. It is um, Ginny Rudolph, um, Miss German, I only know her as Miss German, and Ken Lacoste. Um, I see them present in this building. I see them highly engaged with the community, with parents. Um, and I would like to um, um, give, for what it's worth, my support of them as candidates that I would like to see representing me on this board. Um, um, number five is, and I'm trying to make this short, number five is that I did listen to the transcript from the last board meeting. And while I respect, I want to disagree with the dialogue about the difference between a founding board and a governing board, and correct on some one of the things that the law says. And it's kind of silly, but I did print all the bylaws, and there are quite a few of them, and I'm impressed by them. Um, there are some gaps and some duplication and some conflicts they have in there, but um, we have these, and 
there's nothing in here that says we don't have to follow those until year three. The founding board versus governing board is in effect when at the end of the operation of year three, all board members must be elected. That is what it says. It does not mean you don't have to hold elections until the end of year three. To that, I think it would be highly irresponsible to continue to appoint board members without an election, knowing that at the end of year three, everybody leaves and a whole new badge sits down. So um, one of the things that I, and it actually goes into um, number six, is that I, while I'm glad the board made the choice to move from five to seven board members, the bylaws state that you will have elections every January. And while I agree with seating people that you've already um, put through the process, I find it disappointing that you're ignoring what you said you were going to do by holding elections. It also goes into what I, again, I'm thinking maybe that um, Farouk might speak to, is a long-term vision. Just like you will look at a five-year budget, you also need to look at a five-year um, board membership plan and make sure that in year three, four, five, you aren't faced with a, I can't be on the board anymore because I'm not elected. I need to get a bunch of people elected and you have a major leadership change in that third, fourth year. So um, I would like to encourage you to stick to the bylaws which call for an election and have that disclosed long-term plan. Um, I also, in listening to the transcript from last month, and I am recording it, I don't need to disclose, but I am recording it, um, that the authorizer, I believe, mentioned that you and her share a document which lists all the board members, their term dates, and their training records. And I would like to see that, because I'm not able to, from a constituent perspective, um, feel comfortable that the people leading my school have the training necessary to do so, the training required by law to do so. And so I would like to see that document to ensure that we are in violation of that law and to know that you have all the training and governance in um, board financial management and so forth that the, the state requires of you guys. So um, I would like that document. So I guess there's um, lots of things to think about, two requests. One is I would like that document, which by the way is, I have the right to have under Minnesota State that Statute 13, which is Government Data Practices, um, and then um, the approval for that training when that iPad training opens, I would expect one to be in the Q1 period. It's a half-day training that um, the board attend that training when it comes open. The reason why I suggest pre-approving it is registrations go super fast. So, thank you very much. Thank you for your concerns, and uh, I took note and. While I will be responding to your email, I will mention a couple of the concerns that you just mentioned today as well. Then I would like to have a couple of minutes from Jenny to introduce herself in front of the board and the community members. Yeah, my name is Jenny Cruz Rudolph, and I am a retired educator. I was an educator for 41 years, 23 years as a classroom teacher at the secondary level, and 18 years of administration ranging from assistant principal at Chaska High School in Stillwater Area High School to being director of alternative programming for Stillwater Area Schools, interim director for two years for uh, curriculum and instruction at Stillwater, and then uh, my very last position in the district was as elementary school principal, which was quite delightful. 
I have a, a strong passion and commitment to education. I have a granddaughter here who's a, a kindergartner, and so we're looking at a long-term commitment, and then a grandson who is two and will hopefully in three years be ready to start school here as well. Uh, my strengths and in terms of my educational background is curriculum instruction and assessment, and those are areas in which um, I have both taken leadership roles as well as done training. And, um, and I believe that, that the board is a, a really important vehicle um, to both represent its community as well as to lead and give direction so that we make sure that the main thing is always the main thing. And that is that our students are the center of our decision making and their education and their personal and emotional and physical growth is always present. Thank you. Ms. German? I'm Mary Pat German. I think most of you know who I am from Monday night and from being here. I am a second grade teacher here at Calgary. I taught for over 20 years in St. Paul. but the school itself, and seeing a lot of different student profiles and administrative profiles, and so that's, I work here, I don't know much more I have to say. Mr. <laughs> Kent? I'm Kellen Koss, um, I'm a first grader here, um, I also have a 12th grader and a 10th grader at Mathis Academy, so I have some experience with charter schools. Now let's see, um, let's go through the email and concerns that we received through email and uh, some couple of concerns that Penny, you mentioned this evening. Uh, some of them are being covered during your during the email uh, responses, but what few of them that outstanding and were not in the part of email was open meeting law violation that you mentioned. Uh, first time you mentioned was on Monday. Uh, we believe that that's not the open law violation because it was not random. It was mentioned in our letter to all the parents. It was publicly open. Anyone was welcome, including the candidates that came in. We had the notice uh, on the notice board. We had this in our uh, school website. We had distributed the letter with each and every student to take it with them to the parents and show it to them. So that was completely open meeting. The second concern that you mentioned that after that meeting, board members talked over the phone, that's complete. And in my personal opinion, that's a assumption because none of the board member talked after this meeting, after the Monday meeting. This is the first time I am meeting uh, Ashley, Samad, or Emily was not here, Sam or Sarah. So we did not talk over the email, we did not talk over the phone on that topic as a forum. Now let's go to the email. So the first concern that was mentioned, and I'm going to go through the email uh, with everyone so that they can uh, follow as well. First concern was mentioned that Shannon uh, Vandalchik participated in the 10 16 board meeting as a board member. For the historical meeting minutes, she is not a board member, nor an ex-officio member. 
Under what capacity was she allowed to participate? I do not see provisions for her to participate under Minnesota State Statute 124E-07 sub-3 membership criteria. The response of the board is Shannon is not is our operational manager. She is not a board member. She has never addressed as a board member, nor has participated in any voting or discussion, unless the board asked her to step and then provide us the information that board thinks is needed from her. Second concern that was mentioned or asked about a petition pursuant to Minnesota Statute Section 123B09 sub 5D, making the appointment of Ahmed Adam ineffective was submitted to the board on 10-28-16. The board did not respond to this petition. Ahmed was allowed to participate in vote. A response to the petition is requested. So just to make sure that we have consulted our attorney uh, and these responses are after consulting with our attorney, Cindy Leverett. The Minnesota Statute Section 123B09 sub 5D is addressing the districts, not the Minnesota Charter School Law 124E07. Mr. Ahmed Adam was appointed by the board in compliance with Minnesota Charter School Law. Third concern that was mentioned in the email was, is our board members in compliance with Minnesota State Statute 124E07 sub 7 and Discovery Charter School Policy 2.2 regarding board of director training? sent an email 10-24-16 and asked at the meeting on 10-28-16. Only Ashley responded and she is in compliance. A response is requested. Tamara and Shemil should have completed annual training requirements by 10-21. Response training confirmation is now on board as he is assigned to the role. Response to that is all the board members currently are in compliance with training. If you have any further question or require any detailed information, please reach out to our uh, executive director. He can provide you all the details. It is my understanding that the board approved the addition of the two new board members, a parent and a teacher. Why did the board reject the immediate seating of the presented candidates? Immediate seating was the approach the board took to appoint Ahmed Adam just one meeting prior. This meeting, this particular action, decision, or approach furthers our lack of confidence in the board and representing our needs. So in the case of Ahmed Adam, the immediate seating is an so in immediate seating is an approach to comply with the Minnesota Charter School Law when there is a vacant seat to have at least five board members to stay in compliance. That was the reason why we had to immediately seat Mr. Ahmed Adam. Another concern related to the same uh, question was, why does the board feel the need to define a new policy and approach? Maybe you are not aware that there is an existing policy, policy 2.1 board election process with the resources. It defines a process, timing, and forms. Our response is, we are aware of the policy that governs the board election process. However, the policy does not get to be applied until the three years of the school being operational, that is from the start date of the school. Seating the new board members will occur through a process that is transparent and fair to all those are interested, parents, guardians, 
or teachers, employers, teachers cover charter schools, not only to those who attend the board meetings. My request, another concern was my request would be to appoint at least one teacher or parent at the next board meeting. This appointment would be assumed would be to assume Rizwan's current position. So thank you for your recommendation and suggestion. So our board has uh, listened to your uh, advice. What is the board's long-term plan regarding board members? I sent an email on 10-25-16 with detailed information. It is copied below. I understand that Minnesota State Statute 124E07 discussed the differences between initial and continuing board of directors. However, Minnesota State Statute 123B09 also addresses boards of directors term limit. Because, of the, because the Discovery Charter School entity began years before the doors were open, it is my understanding that these term limits would apply before the board converts from initial to continuing. There are multiple questions and concerns. I was disappointed that my request to address this at the board meeting was ignored. Again, a response is requested. What are the current and dates? Response from the board after consulting with our attorney again. The current founding board term will end by the end of the third year of the school operational starting point in accordance to 124E07. Election will occur before the third year ends. Next question was, what is the three to five year board staff planning to ensure the continuity? The board has a plan and they will implement it as planned. Two members appears to have exceeded the duration of absences in which their seat is considered vacant. The absences were not addressed nor the law followed regarding reseating or reappointment. Please refer to Minnesota State Statute 123B09 sub 3, cause for school board vacancy attend for not less than 90 days. Your response to the board approach is requested. Pamir missed the three consecutive board meetings for June, July, and September of 2016. Sam missed the three consecutive board meetings for March, April, May of 2016. The board is aware, so our reply or response to this question is, the board is aware of such policy regarding resignation or removal of a board member in, in, in case of absence. The board acted upon the absences of Tamar at the third absence, according to the school bylaws, which is reflected in the meeting minutes of September 2016. As for Sam, he had to travel abroad. He submitted the leave of absence to the board before his departure, and the board approved his request. Unfortunately, that's not reflected in the board meeting, and that's a board mistake because Sam was not in, the, in that meeting, when we were reviewing the meeting minutes, he was out of country, and the board overlooked it. So this was last year before his school being in operation. Thank you. That concludes the community comments. Uh, time actually, we are a little over. So now the next item is approval of 10-28-16 meeting minutes. Uh, I believe everyone had chance to look at the last meeting minutes. Is there any changes or amendments that need on those meeting minutes? 
around some time to look at the meeting minutes. Or if there is no change request, do I hear approval to approve or motion to approve the approval of 10-28-16 meeting minutes? So moved. Second. So 10-28-16 meeting minutes have been approved unanimously. The next agenda item we have is audit report by Chuck Brinke. Would you like? Hello, everybody. I'm Chuck Brinke. I'm a CPA, and I have my own firm in St. Louis Park. I've worked with charter schools uh, audits for over 20 years, um, and uh, uh, I always try to keep myself with maybe between five and eight or nine schools that I work with, and that's right about where I'm at again, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, um, so uh, uh, I was asked to do the audit uh, uh, report for this year, and uh, I'm sure a number of you maybe have never seen an audit report, have no idea what it's all about, and uh, I could spend hours talking about it, but I'm going to give you the, the, the overview and try to make it as much in, in layman's terms as I possibly can, and make it as brief as I possibly can. So, so we'll go from there. Um, so uh, I think, um, I don't know if you have copies or if you don't have copies, uh, but, there are, but there are copies uh, uh, over here. Anybody wants it. Uh, so, uh, uh, in your first year, you've got you know it was a startup year without students, and you've got the, uh, the the grant money to get things up and running, and so you're really not getting student money, and you're not uh, able to really add to your fund balance and build up a little war chest for the future. You're just trying to do what you got to do to get the school open. So that's kind of an overview of it. From an audit standpoint. Um, I issue an opinion, an audit opinion, and it starts on page three, and it goes uh, up until page five, and basically I've given the school what is called a clean opinion, which is as good as it gets, and, and basically <coughs> say that your financial statements were, were in conformity with uh, generally accepted accounting principles and government <coughs> auditing standards, and, uh, um, and so that's a good thing. And then uh, there's also some compliance work done uh, for when you do uh, uh, government audits. And uh, I, I go through a list, of, a test of transactions, and I have invoices pulled, and I follow them through the system and check the coding for UFARs and, and, that, there's, and that bills that are being paid are approved and other things like that. So I also check on compliance with, with uh, Minnesota laws and regulations. Uh, the next part of the audit report is the management's discussion, management discussion and analysis. Uh, that consists of maybe eight or ten pages, most of which are summarized financial information from the audit report. Uh, so I'm not really going to spend much time on that. I'll just go right directly to the audit report. And, uh, and that can be bedtime reading for you, the, uh, the, uh, the actual uh, uh, management discussion and analysis. My part of the audit starts on page 16 with a statement of net position. I realized about an hour before the, uh, I came out here that there was an error on the page that's stapled in, and so we have a, we have a substitute page. And uh, the, the substitute page has the capital assets of the school in it for $58,350. And uh, so the assets of the school are a very small amount of accounts receivable, uh, over $91,000 of 
receivables for uh, from federal government through MDE, and then the capital assets for a total of $150,000 of assets of the school. Uh, let me uh, just back up for a second and tell you and tell you what I'm showing you. There's two sets of financial statements in the audit report. There's the district-wide statements, which are on a full accrual basis, which is normal for like any business or any publicly held company, to where you you have uh, when you buy equipment for the school, you put it on a depreciation schedule and you depreciate it over time. That's really the only difference between the set of financial statements, I'm, the district-wide statements that I'm showing you now, and the set of statements I'm going to show you later. Those are on on the UFARS basis, which is kind of like a cash-in, cash-out. So when you buy computers and, and tables and chairs and desks and things like that, you expense them. But in the, in the district-wide, you capitalize them and depreciate them. So there's, there's differences between those. So this is the statement of net position, which is on full accrual, 150,000 of assets. There's accounts payable of about $91,000. And so uh, the net position of the school, which would be in a, in a for-profit biz business called retained earnings, or in a non-profit business would be called uh, fund balance, that, or, or something similar to that. Uh, you had actually $58,350, which was represented by the, by the capital assets, and $8 uh, uh, unrestricted net, net balance for a total of $58,358. And if we move on to page 17, that, that is the statement of activities. Statement of activities is intended to be like a profit and loss statement, except really weird looking. Uh, uh, it's broken down, the, 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 the lines going across the left-hand side are the programs of the school, the regular instruction, instructional staff, school administration, et cetera, et cetera. And the lines going across the top, uh, the first three lines are for program revenues. The only program revenues you have are operating grants and, and contributions uh, in this table of about $183,000. And then everything gets, gets added across to come up with net change, uh, net revenue and, cha and, and changes in net position for total government activities. So then all of those get subtotaled down, come up with $58,298, plus there was $60 of miscellaneous revenue that didn't really have anything to do with your programs. And so when you add those 58,298 and the 60 together, you come up with the $58,358, which is also the net position on the previous page that I showed you. So those are now in agreement. Next two pages are the UFARS governmental funds type reports. And so we'll start out with the balance sheet there. The balance sheet is identical to the statement of net activity, uh, the statement of net assets, except it doesn't have the fixed assets, the $58,350 on it. And so the, the unassigned fund balance is, is the $8 that showed up as unrestricted fund balance in, in the statement of net assets. Uh, then the next page is just a small reconciliation that shows how we got from the $8 on one report to the $58,358 on the other report and it's the fixed assets that, we, that I referred to earlier. Then on the next page, page 20, Statement of Revenue Expenditures and Changes in Fund Balance. This also is, is a uh, like a, a profit and loss type statement that, that 
breaks down the revenues by federal sources and local sources, and then the expenditures by program, and it nets down to that same $8 that, we, that I referenced a little bit earlier. And then the next page after that, 21, there's a reconciliation that gets from the net, the net uh, um, uh, fund balance of $8. Uh, uh, no, I didn't say that right. The, the uh, amount reported for governmental activities in the statement of activity, uh, your net change in fund balance on the one system was $8. And again, the, the $58,350 uh, was that was expensed in UFARS is now capitalized and district-wide, gets you right back to that same 58,358 number that we've seen. So we've seen these numbers multiple times, and uh, that's all of these financial statements. Next page shows the original budget, uh, uh, page 22, original budget, final budget, and then actual numbers. You can see the actual numbers netted down to that same $8, the final budget netted down to $2,000, and the uh, and the original budget netted to zero. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Then we've got footnotes. Uh, a lot of the footnotes um, have are kind of boilerplate from one school to the next, so I'm going to kind of gloss over all the ones that are boilerplate. And uh, um, nothing on 24, 25, 26. Uh, I guess in one it just refers to the, to the, uh, to the authorizer and that and that there's no uh, um, there's no component units of the school and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, uh, flipping over to page 27 again, kind of boilerplate language. Page 28, it says the school has a capitalization policy of $500 or more. It talks about when depreciation is taken on on fixed assets, it's they're depreciated over, any, over anywhere from five to 20 years. Uh, for equipment, depending on the type of equipment that it is. Um, flipping over to 29, nothing real exciting there. Flipping over to page 30, there's a deposit footnote. Uh, no major numbers there. Uh, page 31, capital assets. This is the this is the page that explains that $58,350 of, of net capital assets. Uh, $59,645 of assets were purchased during the year, and the depreciation on those assets was $1,295. That nets down to the $58,350. Uh, note four, commitments and contingencies. Uh, B, operating lease for educational space. There's a footnote on, on the lease uh, um, saying that it's for uh, $20,000 monthly for fiscal year 17, and uh, and that the total for the year would be $240,000. Um, page 34, um, my job as an auditor is to, the school's job is to go on and, and, and put all the final numbers into the UFARS system over at Minnesota Department of Education. My job is when I finish the audit, I go in and put the big picture auditor, audit numbers, and they need to agree. It's okay to have $1 differences uh, like there are in a couple things. It's rounding. You've got a lot of large numbers, and, and a dollar rounding doesn't really mean much of anything. So this shows that the two, uh, that the audit and the UFARS numbers submitted by the school agree with each other. Uh, page 35, uh, independent auditors report on internal control over financial reporting and on compliance 
and other matters based on an audit of financial statements performed in accordance with government auditing standards. Um, so here I give my opinion on, on the school's uh, internal control and compliance, and uh, um, I don't really express an opinion on, on that, but uh, I, I found no deficiency, deficiencies or sig sig either significant deficiencies or material weaknesses in the internal controls of the school uh, that would require major corrections to their financials. Uh, and so the system is designing the way it is functioning the way it was designed. And uh, so that's, that's about as good as it can get as well. And on page 37, there's a report on compliance with Minnesota laws and regulations. And again, uh, uh, the results of my testing indicated that the school complied with the material terms and conditions of the applicable legal provisions. And on page 38, it says I had no findings for either for internal control over financial reporting or over Minnesota legal compliance. Uh, page 39, it starts kind of what I would call a management letter. And it just talks about what uh, um, my responsibility is under U.S. generally accepted auditing standards. It talks a little about that there was no findings. Uh, um, talks about significant accounting policies. Uh, talks about accounting estimates and management judgments. And uh, uh, talks about audit adjustments. There, uh, there were no uncorrected financial statement misstatements. Sometimes in an audit, I'll find some small errors, uh, either small errors or big errors. If they're big errors uh, that I consider to be material, then I go back to the school and say, hey, there's these big errors I think should be corrected. And, and then hopefully they would do that. I didn't find anything like that. And then sometimes there's small errors. Small errors, uh, if they don't, uh, if, if, if a school has you know $200,000 of revenue and you're off $1,000, it really wouldn't affect the, the reader of the financial statement in, in evaluating the school any differently if there was a $1,000 different on, on that, on related to such big dollars of, of revenues of the school. So I would consider that to be not material. I would point it out to the school and say, do you want to make this adjusting entry or don't you? And then the school can say whether they want to. And if, if they don't want to, I'm probably not going to make them, but then I'm required to kind of write it up and, and attach it to their management representation letter. And in this uh, management letter, I would refer to them that there were some, some uncorrected uh, adjustments totaling $1,000 and, and uh, really doesn't make a, a big difference. But it's, I'm required to, to talk about it if there were any. Uh, no disagreements with management. I didn't consult with any other independent accountants. Um, uh, I didn't have any significant difficulties in uh, dealing with management and performing and completing the audit. That's basically uh, my audit report. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Uh, there's an actual schedule, and there's a uh, uh, an Excel spreadsheet that 
that I can I can email to you and show you how it's calculated, and uh, um, and it depends when the assets were purchased during the year, and so usually first year it's pretty small. Sure. It's actually a good thing if yeah. you think about it. The the less depreciation that you have, the more asset balance you have on the district-wide financial statement, and it looks like you've got a, a, some fund balance. It's not really all that much useful to you, but at least, at least you're positive. Now, let me just warn you about something that's going to be coming down the road with the uh, um, uh, last year was the first year to where charter schools had to comply with the new pension laws. The new pension laws say that every school with, that has teachers with uh, TRA and para has to assume part of the liability of the whole state's uh, public schools. And there, there's a, like a, a significant, I don't know, unfunded liability is the, is, the, is the way to talk about it. But schools that have been around for more than a couple of years all of a sudden had this huge liability on their, on their, on their uh, district-wide balance sheet. And, and some of the schools that were very proud of their you know, $200,000 fund balance, all of a sudden, they were negative. So you're going to be facing that probably, I would say, probably not next year. It's probably going to be a couple years because the, the, the pension fund numbers that I'm using for this year's audit report were based on June 30, 2015, and you weren't even around then. Next year's number are going to be from June 30, 2016, and you really had no wages. So it's probably not going to hit next year either, but the year after it will hit and your audit report will probably grow by at least 15 pages of, of footnotes, and I got all these extra calculations to do, and you'll end up with a big liability on your, on your balance sheet, and it'll, it'll make you look negative. The only consolation is every other school in the state has the same problem. So, <laughs> so that's that. Thank and you if you want me to send you the schedule, I would be happy to. I Thank appreciate you. agenda item we have is new board chair appointment as we all know that I designed last time that we'll discuss in a little later but I would like to shift this uh, responsibility to someone more responsible than me. Is there any nomination for the new board chair for the board members? Okay, I have a nomination. I nominate Sam someone. <laughs> that was awesome. I second it. Is there any other nomination? Any other nomination? Okay. With the majority of the boards, I think uh, there is no other nomination. Uh, we can do the voting as well again. Just to um, all in favor for Sam? Aye. Sam is acting board chair. I would like to give the responsibility to Sam to lead the meeting. 
The next agenda item is new board member appointments. We have two candidates for the teacher board member and one candidate for a teacher board member. Given that we have two parent nominees, oh, my apologies. Given that we have one community member nominee and one parent nominee, and one teacher, and one, and one teacher nominee. Please, uh, thank you. I'm sorry. Who said there is one community? We made an announcement for two for parents. Uh, member and a teacher member, and we did an announcement for this, and we received the application for two parents and one yep. teacher. We do not have any application for a community member. Um, so thank you for uh, again. Excuse oh. me. Yeah, no comments. This is what we did. We did an announcement for one parent and one uh, one uh, teacher. We did not make an announcement for a community member. Understood. And we received two applications for one parent and one application for one teacher. That's it. Two applications for the and one application for the application. We did not receive any other applications. Parent or legal guardian. We can consider. We have two applicants for the parent or legal guardian open board chair. Open director seat, excuse me. As there are two applicants, do I hear as there are two applicants, I would like to go through the nominations fairly. And do I hear a motion do I hear a motion to appoint Given that there are two parent and or legal guardian nominees, Ms. Rudolph and Mr. Lacasse, I would like to vote on the appointment of either of these two randomly. That means that we will consider the motion for Ms. Rudolph or Mr. Lacasse based on either She's not a parent. I'm sorry to interrupt. She's not a parent or a leader legal guardian. She doesn't fall into the category of parent or legal guardian. Do I hear a motion to appoint? Uh, if you feel, if you don't feel, like, if you don't feel okay, we can have a break for five minutes, then we can continue. Shall we? Uh, yep, we can. Do I hear a motion to break for five minutes? Yes. yes. I'll make a motion. Yeah. 
to the tape last week, but I was actually not present in some of the stuff that you had said. You referenced a document shared between, in a meeting last week, a document shared between, okay, Dan, can I, can you send me that document? Yeah, can you get it for Shannon? <laughs> Can you grab the one off the board? Is that what one you want? I don't know what she's telling she, um, so I don't have a training doc. So when the, uh, at the applications for the position of parent, but it appears that one of the applicants was neither a parent or legal guardian. Um, and there is one applicant for the position of parent director, that is Mr. Ken Lacoste. The board chair would now like to entertain a motion to appoint Ken Lacoste to the board as parent director. Do I hear such a motion? Second it uh, just for sake of discussion of the matter. All in favor? All opposed? Nay. The motion does not carry. We have another application for teacher director to the board, Ms. German. Do I hear a motion to appoint Ms. German immediately to the board? I make a motion. Next agenda item is Executive Director Progress Update. Okay, so I gave you um, and Pammer um, the uh, building issues today, and what was brought up today was that the room is extremely cold, and on the other side of the building, it's extremely hot. 
requested and put into writing for you guys to look at it, all the thermostats are not working. So they need to replace the thermostats on the old side of the building and they need to have train fix these. We had train out and they weren't able to make this work for us. So hence why it feels cold in here. And on the other side, it's very hot. So that's why I put on building issues number one priority was to do that. How about the classes? The what? The classes of students. Students sit in this cold uh, class? Yeah, I mean, it's when it's, um, we, when the boiler's on, then right now it's probably not fully going on, then it's more comfortable. But usually this side of the building right now is rather cold, and that's why we need to get the thermostats fixed. And we had train out, and they were looking at it, and I thought that they'd fix it, but they were unable to do that. And so that's the dilemma that we've been asking for from the building for quite some time. Okay. So during the, from the time of last meeting until now, did you try to figure out the time to meet with the landlord? We uh, had, we had uh, when we talked to the landlord, then I had train out here. Shannon got train out here to look over everything. And they were working on it. And then the boiler guy was here. And so they were looking at all of the stuff. So. Since last meeting to this, we've had the boiler guy and train out here. What is wrong with it is something that I don't know. They're saying that uh, they have to look at some stuff on the roof, and so right now it's something that they have to look at. Who said that? The, the train um, guy and then um, the boiler's still working because the boiler works on the outside of the building, so if you if it's heat, you have no problem getting heat. So the heat there is is um, is relatively good, and then if it's a little too hot, then they have air conditioners. This side was working, and then somehow um, we were trying to fix it in the back, and then somehow it's not going to each room accordingly to a thermostat. Shannon, do you have any? Yeah, there are, um, when this, New building was built. There were um, they called them um, databases put into the furnace room in the old building to help control this building. So this building is on a cooling system. The old building is on a heating system. This building does not heat unless the boiler's on. The problem that they're finding are two of the databases in there are not working properly and nobody knows how to fix them. The boiler guy didn't know how to fix them and the train guy does not know how to fix them. So we are currently putting it in the landlord's hand or trying to, to figure out who, who to call, who will know how to fix it because we don't have any information on this building. We don't have any manuals. We don't have any like support documents or anything, but the landlord should because they're built, they built the building. So did we reach out to landlord on that topic? I didn't request anything, no. Okay, but landlord showed up here on... No, the landlord didn't okay. show up here. We had Waleed okay. and Muhammad here. Okay. So yeah. Waleed is the facility management, and so is Muhammad Nur. So they were here, and neither one of them knows what else to do here, other than we have to keep working with train and, and figure out the system. And train doesn't have a clue. The guy from train, they're not their units. Somebody else came in to install those units, their Armstrong units, and they don't know how to 
to work with them if they're not if the component itself is not working. Okay. So, so my suggestion would be please reach out to the landlord again and ask mm -hmm. that if they know someone or what the next step should be so that we can resolve this issue. We cannot just point to say that landlord will fix it, landlord will say that you'll fix it, I want you or this board would say we want a concrete answer that how we're gonna fix this issue as soon as possible. Yeah, thank you very much for your comment and I will actually strongly recommend to call the landlord for emergency meeting. You call him, say, come to me, we need to sit down, we need to talk about the issues related to related to the building. We have to find out and this should be done as soon as possible. We talked about some of your comments. Thank you very much for your comments here that you raised and the list that you raised three weeks ago. So we need to work on this very fast. Uh, one of the uh, board members, uh, he will be helping and I am also willing to help and support if we if we want us to meet with the landlord but we have to do this as soon because it's, it doesn't work every meeting we need to raise the issues about the building we need to work and fix it as soon as possible thank you very much do you have anything else? no I, I think that the comment is and I'm not sure how to take that comment but if we're not working with the landlord I talk to the landlord quite frequently and ask for these things. I gave a list of things that I've asked from 8816. So I think I'm not sure if what the what that comment was, but I'm constantly asking them to fix things. The comment was not that you are not working with them. The comment was that we need to have an emergency meeting with them. Ask them to come over here, meet with this with you guys and if come you up want with a plan. Our support we can call him as well with you and tell him to come, we have to sit, we have to talk about the issues in the building, and we have to address them as soon as possible. Well, I'll call, uh, yeah. I'll call him for a meeting, and I'll call Dr. Asif and say we need an emergency meeting sure. to discuss this. Who is Dr. Asif? No, I, I heard premier, sorry. Oh, yeah. Dr. Asif is the president of MET. Um, the other thing is is that uh, with parents, they wanted to know about uh, a mold issue here, so right away I got in touch with uh, Microbile uh, Consulting, and uh, so they do industrial hygiene. A copy's in front of you, and I did forward one to the PTA as well. Um, basically, when I'm reading this, uh, we checked um, with the money we did uh, Basically, in third grade, so we went all the way down, third grade, music room, Spanish room, our new library. Then we went to the basement library. We went into the kitchen, and then he did some outdoor. What he found is, if you look at the organisms on the side, he did find common allergens, and then he did look at and found some water damage indicators. Um, from his... Thing, uh, here looking at this document he did not find anything that was slightly higher than outside hair, air and he didn't find anything that was significantly higher than outside air and so what his comment was to me um, and then I did forward that to PTA just for parents to see it was that he doesn't he has some recommendations how we can fix some of the water damage but other than that he says that the mold problem he says it's normal uh, for a building, and so he doesn't see anything that is um, something that is detrimental to our students here or staff. I also um, have a water sample that I've uh, completed and dropped off with Dakota County. 
It takes two weeks to get back, so I checked on lead um, and other bacteria to see if there's anything in our drinking water. So Dakota County told me that it takes two weeks to get those test back, re reports back. As soon as I get them, I'll give them to the board and to the PTA for the matter of transparency. Um, attendance report, uh, we are currently still at um, 188. Those numbers will be going up. Um, I have a, a couple other students that are looking to join. I have a couple of students that are looking to come from different states. I mentioned at another meeting that we have a couple looking to come from Canada and then two students that are looking to come from Philadelphia. So we have some other students that are interested, so our number of numbers remain stable. The big thing that I wanted to focus on tonight is our, uh, we talked about building, but I wanted to talk about our world's best workforce. Um, this is something that is statute section 120B11. Um, and it is, uh, what I did is all of our teachers have been working in PLCs. PLCs is a professional learning community. We have um, come to the end of, uh, starting tomorrow, everyone will finish off the project of tiering our students. Tiering our students mean academic levels at one, two, and three. Uh, with that being said, the teachers have now, um, after I looked on it, we shared on Google Docs, we have now completed that phase. So we have successfully identified students who need more interventions. We uh, was at a title training today at MDE and we will have the funds, so we have uh, someone helping us with title with our kids who need more interventions. And so we will be giving out some more notices to parents who are getting title services. That's one of the provisions of title. So making sure that we know as a board that we are off in title, we will be doing a parent con uh, compact with the parents who are being offered this. We're doing targeted title, meaning that we're focusing on students who are in the response to intervention tier three and tier two. More interventions, that is for both reading and math. So what has to happen then from here is uh, we have to, and I put this together, this is my first rough copy um, because now we have to develop a committee and that committee needs to have a board member. I remember Tamar saying you want to do the <coughs> curriculum. We need parents to be on it and we need to have uh, teachers on it. And what we're looking at is, number one is looking at what we're offering in, in K-6 but now we have to start looking at what we're offering for middle school as well. So that committee needs to start meeting um, early December to start planning. Um, so what I did is I set our 2016-17 goals. You'll see that I don't have any benchmarks for, um, for these at this point because we just started, we have just one map score that we've been able to do. But one of the things is right now, as you can see, uh, one of the areas is all students in third grade will achieve uh, grade level literacy. I put together a SMART goal. We're using right now Read It and A to Z. Um, and then what I did is I looked at our grant that was submitted. We need to have, uh, by the end of the year, each of our students needs to grow um, by eight um, RIT points, which is the measure of MAP, and 75% uh, proficiency in MCA reading, and 75% uh, in math of our students need to, and that's why it was important to get our intervention set now. Um, closing the achievement gap, uh, as a new charter school, we don't have an achievement gap reduction score at this point for any subgroups. Um, as we continue, we will 
um, put in in our curriculum committee. We'll put in a plan that continues that we meet or exceed standards in the future. And how we're going to do that right now on the plan is we'll continue to use the RTI model and continue to strengthen our professional learning communities. Um, our goal, which we are looking at in our SMART goal right now, is that, and it's a lofty goal now, but we're going to be revising this based on our student population, is that 80% of our students will be in Tier 1. Um, that's a research-based uh, method that they that it would be 80% of your students would be in Tier 1, which is basically at grade level or above. So based on looking at some of the tiered um, students in our school, we are uh, most likely going to have to lower um, just a little bit of our um, of our percentage for this school year. Um, we have a lot of students who are at grade level or above, but we still have some students that are receiving Title I and ELL that we need to really put concentration on, which we have, uh, have been doing now. So that's close the achievement gap. All students are career and college ready by graduation. Um, that's going to be a big thing when I did my evaluations with all uh, the teachers. We want to start creating that work, um, basically our, what this is, is world's best workforce. So having more parents and having resident experts come into the classrooms and start talking about careers uh, and getting them ready. We want 85% or more of our students will demonstrate college-ready skills as predicted when we get to the ACT Explorer and ACT Plan. Um, and so right now we don't have, obviously, since we're K-6, we're not there yet. So we're really going to start being college and career-ready starting in kindergarten here. Um, and then right now, our all students will graduate. Uh, right now, just in, in looking at it, I said 96% of our students will graduate um, their four-year core when we get there. So right now, you can see that we won't have that because in this year we're just K-6. Uh, and then you can go over the needs-based data. Um, and if you have questions about that, like I said, for this first one, it's hard to have a great measure because we're in November and I took one map score. I've looked at all the map scores. The teachers have done a fantastic job of, of leveling the students where they need to be. And right now, there's a heavy push for um, our students right now with uh, Mr. Zhang are getting their ELL services. And then um, we're having uh, Mr. Zhang with another aide um, working with uh, our Title I students. So right now they get pulled out of class and the Title I and Mr. Zhang will pu push in as well. So they're getting the extra interventions that are required for them to be successful. The other students in Tier 1, we're really pushing so we're not holding back students. The ones in Tier 1, we keep are keeping to provide more academic rigor. So. And then you can just see a little more, just going through this, uh, looking at strategies. This is where I put together uh, some of the things about using our STEM Fuse and Read It curriculum and our SACS and math, which are all aligned to the Minnesota State Standards. Uh, we have been putting a big focus on literacy and math, of course. Um, that's then where we have to go as a district. This is where we have to really get into development and implementation of a comprehensive strategic plan. <clears throat> so looking at the RTI school-wise task force and going into more of the professional learning communities, um, these are some of the heavy goals that we have to have. So I propose today that we get a committee started um, and set a date. 
of early December to have our curriculum committee meet and invite parents. Um, they don't need to be elected parents. They just need to be parents that are interested, community members and teachers who are interested in serving on the committee, and really start to get down to the strategic plan and then presenting this to the parents at a, um, another meeting in the spring. Where we'll also be able to show some more math data since we'll be taking the math again in January. So I know, Tamara, you express interest in um, being on the curriculum committee. And so I'd like to set a date today and then put it up to the PTA to get more parents involved. I know a couple parents who have already expressed interest in being on the committee. And I'll ask some more teachers if they want to be on it um, as well. So we have a, a variety of people that can talk about it because one of our big things with STEM is that we are um, keep and remain STEM. about uh, the second week of December. Is it necessary to be in December? Can we make it next week sometime? Yeah, we can make it as soon as possible. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping to do it next week, maybe maybe Monday or Tuesday. I will yeah, hear you can put it out there, so. Yeah. Is it too early for parents, parents to get involved? Yeah. Oh, yeah, next week is already Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I forgot. So if we could make it early December, it'd be the best for getting more parents, because I can do uh, my um, my uh, weekly newsletter tomorrow. I can put it out there so people can yeah, say they're interested. Which they would work well for. I'm open anytime, and then I know parents, Mondays are relatively hard for, for parents. Um, usually a, a Wednesday, or, or not a Wednesday, a Tuesday, Thursday is always the best. There's an event on the 1st already. A school event with PTAs running? So maybe you can announce that and then you can meet the parents who are interested to be engaged. So you want to meet the meeting at the same day as PTA? No, just come here and meet with the parents who are interested in the. And invite them at that time? Like a meeting meeting? December 1st is the evening event. Okay. Already set up. I don't know the time. sounds urgent, but we've already set our dates for already starting the um, uh, next year's enrollment. And so when parents come and ask us, we the one question they'll ask us for middle school is, what is your curriculum going to be? Okay. So we need the committee to start looking at that. And I have a lot of ideas, but obviously having a committee together makes it a lot more Absolutely. solid.
don't think I don't think it matters too much having a board member. I mean, really, we have to focus on K twelve standards. Yeah. So I think having right. Cameron as a board member is sufficient, and then having a couple Parents teachers, staff. communities, and parents have a big say because we want them to know what these kids are, children, and kids are going to be learning, mm -hmm. and they have a big support in what we're doing, and it's you know what their uh, kids are going to be learning in our schools. So, so I'd be more heavily on teachers and community yeah. and parents. So here is my recommendation to the board that if you come to the uh, PTA meeting, we already have a staff uh, board member here. It can be very uh, useful. And we have, I uh, can see, great community members sitting here. And JT has great uh, curriculum experience as well. Um, so what we can decide, or what we should decide, is the, the size of the committee. We, we don't want overly crowded committee either. Right? So if we can decide on the size, then what should the number of uh, resources on that committee, and uh, meet with that, uh, go to that PTA meeting, meet with the PTA uh, parents and uh, guardians over there, and it, it will be your trial. As soon as you get the uh, parents who are interested, you already have two key names here. Just do the meeting right there and then maybe, right? It has yeah, to be full. I mean, with the committee meeting, with, the, with this, it has to be announced. One thing I want to make sure you understand is that the December 1st is an event that they're hosting. It's not a PTA meeting. Oh, okay. It's an event where families are invited to come. So if you had, like you said, a time before, like at, you know, at 5.30, if people interested in curriculum came a little early, they could talk to you, find out what it's about, and then the parents would be able to determine if they're interested in joining that committee. And then you could let them know when that meeting will be. Otherwise, if you want to speak specifically to parents, you could do that at a PTA meeting. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you knew that we already have something. There's an event going on on the first. So either if you really just want to speak to parents at PTA, they have a meeting every month. Okay. And then um, setting up that curriculum piece. Sure. We don't want to do the curriculum piece on the first because people are coming for something else. But talking about it, getting people interested and finding out who wants to do it, that may be a way to get more people However, listening. we will make an uh, announcement as yeah. open meeting. Well, I'm going to send okay. you my letter because I've already typed up my letter. Okay. So it goes out tomorrow, so I'll put something in the letter tomorrow about the curriculum committee, see if we get interest. And then um, the size usually is around six to eight. So. Is there any questions about the world's best workforce? Since it is statute, we need to be posted on our website. This is not the official copy, but I wanted to make sure everyone knew what has been going on in school. Once it is posted, then it's official. And it needs to be on the website. Any questions? Not at this time. Uh, I will read it thoroughly, and then I will contact you. Because I have some questions as well, uh, but I need to go through it thoroughly, and uh, probably the time of the meeting will not right. this. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a first. It's just a first read.
The next item on the agenda is financials. Um, I was the acting board treasurer, and I had prepared the financials. Currently at this time, I will then present the financials. In the October 2016 financial statement packet, report that is the second to last page it has our fund our period balance as of October 31st it looks like a lot but um, we were waiting on some grant issues um, and going down do I have any questions about any of the line items? What's the name? That is Bertelson One Source. Minnesota Education Trust is our landlord. Yeah. They are not charging us rent until January. That is the rent to date. However, um, as far as the dates, I will inquire about that. Or we'll have any board treasurer inquire about that. The two orders for Tierney are the short are the smart boards and the Trinity 3 LLC are the laptops. Otherwise, are there any other questions? Did you get an answer on your teacher's yeah. call? The, um, Sorry. I know, um, I'm imagining it's because we had a staff member who was gone for two days, so the two-day job. They typically, when you put in a two-day job, it's entered on the date of the first absence, but then you don't pay for it until the person actually shows up and works two times. So I would imagine that may be part of why. It's listed as twice. Right, but within their system, when it's requested, it's a two-day job. So in their system. Okay. That would be my guess. I <laughs> don't know for sure. All right. We turn to the narrative summary report. report. Overall, for general fund one, we are on track for the year. Um, these numbers will not necessarily reflect everything, so if you see that there's a negative 65, that is if we paid out all the balance on the period balance report, um, but our landlord is not charged.
charging us rent right away, and not all invoices are being asked for. However, everything but the rent should be paid, although I will have to double check that. Um, overall, as of right now, we are apparently doing well. Um, so we are on track to uh, have a projected surplus of 94582 at the end of the year, which is to build up our fund balance as required by our authorizer. Um, the food service fund is apparently running a little negative because of startup costs. If you turn to the reporting period overview, for the cash on hand for the period of 9.30.16 to 10.31.16, we had slowed spending and that is why we had a great net change. From 10.31.2015 to 10.31.2016, that is due to us actually opening and operating and that is why we had that large change. Any questions on that or the narrative? Assets and liabilities. We are doing okay. This does not reflect MBE, the grant money. Just keep that in mind. I'm going to ask if there's any uh, issues or questions with this. Going to the summary income statement, um, the primary focus is percentage of budget, so we should be at about 30 to 40 percent of the budget and all of our, of our projected budget in all of these as uh, we are in the fifth month of operation. Um, there are Some line items that are over, however, that is likely due to coding issues, um, and we will be taking that up with the accountant. Is there any questions on this page? Going to the next page, um, this we are generally in good shape. Federal Special Education Fund at 68% is, will wash out because that is a funding where you have to spend it and then request it. Um, otherwise, student support services is at a much greater percentage. However, that is likely due to a recoding issue relating to how we code with the grants, et cetera. Are there any other questions on this page? As of 
shape. Um, if you go to the next page, that goes through expenditures, the total, the food fund, um, salaries, wages, and benefits, um, and then the net income is ninety four five eighty one, which is. One dollar off from our projected surplus, but this is also not incorporating the grant money as that was late given to us. Do we have any other financial questions? Um, as I am now the board chair, I cannot serve as the treasurer. I would like to hear a, mo a motion to appoint a replacement treasurer from the board. Do I hear such a motion? Do I hear, or excuse me, do I hear a nomination for treasurer of the board? <laughs> I think the only one here has this, this room. Willing to take this responsibility, so maybe I, Ahmed, you go for it. Okay, so I make a motion to nominate Ahmed. Anyone second? Open for discussion. Okay. That's where you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Speak now. Nervous. Okay. Do I hear a motion to appoint Ahmed Adam treasurer of the board?
So it's really great that you're already thinking about it and looking at managing the funds um, with that goal in mind. One recommendation would be to think about even having a policy in place um, to, you know, some, some of this, and the more specific the target usually, the more successful the boards are. So if you were to have a policy in place that, you know, would just reaffirm that you're working toward that 20% reserve, um, and then if there's ever a year, you know, where you, if you don't make that, you know, what, what happens? So the policy oftentimes will address, like, what the board will do, um, you know, and if, there, if in the event that there is, it is necessary to either, you know, go below it in the future, um, and, and why. So, so just, you know, there's lots of different examples, I think, um, if you look at different schools, you know, we can facilitate sharing, we can ask some of the schools um, to put some in Edmodo and, and share some of the things they're using. Um, but, but what's been really great to see is the schools that can build that reserve and, um, and it, they just, they're able to um, think about the future <laughs> and not have to be worrying all the time about, oh my gosh, what if there is a budget shortfall next year? What if, you know, enrollment isn't, I mean, now is the time to build the reserve because your enrollment is increasing. You know, eventually it will peak just because of your restraint of your, like the facility size. Um, and so then, you know, then it's a question about, well, do we, do we want to think about like, uh, you know, another, an expansion or whatever. So, but it's, it's always important to be able to have that reserve, to be able to be at that strategic level and not have to be like worried, you know, on a on a um, on a month to month basis about oh my gosh, you know, um, what what if we, you know, I, I think our experience is that for schools that do are at like eight percent or below, it's it gets really difficult um, because then you know a few students here, a few students there, um, something with the facility, something with the you know, and and it makes it really to be able to focus on the strategic um, planning for the school and meeting your goals. So, so that's just a thought, is to think about developing a fund balance policy and then using it. We, we have one. Oh, we you have, have one. one, okay. We just have to revise right. it, because right now it's at 15%, so the board might want to revise it based on the authorizer of 20%, but we do have a policy. Great, great. And so, great, wow, you guys are. Um, and then I think the other um, point that I just wanted to make is, so it's great to hear like an academic update um, in the director's report. So one of the things to be aware of is make sure to look at the contractual goals when thinking about the world's best workforce. The more that from the very beginning you can align your plans, right? I think those of us who've been in education many years realize um, it's hard if you have like five different plans to, to stay focused and actually move the work forward. And so um, to the extent that you can look at the contract when, when developing the world's best workforce plans and look for that alignment, um, one of the things that will be important is, you know, when we set our contract goals for academic performance, we did not have the uh, baseline data, right? Like you never know if it's gonna come to your school. So we do go through a period of a contract revision um, and we will be doing that. And so, you know, we will be looking to you with your world's best workforce plan too to make sure, you know, just having, having being aligned 
will be really important. So, um, you know, we do pretty much look to have gold in those different buckets that you were talking about, like um, on track to graduate, even though the students are, are younger, it's not a high school, you know, college and career readiness is all about meeting or exceeding grade level standards, because if you get behind, you're not gonna be able to be college and career ready. Um, and so, yeah, so we will kind of keep that in mind um, when we continue to work together. But I, I would, and you know, you may have already done that, but I would just really recommend, as you're looking at your world's best workforce plan, having that, the contract, you know, and, and doing the side by side and thinking about um, when we go through the revision, which we'll be following up with you to schedule, uh, making sure that we're keeping, we're staying in sync, and um, that'll just work better. And let's see, is there any other? I did want to commend you too. I do feel like your process of addressing um, community feedback is is one that can is seems to be effective and efficient, at least to to an external observer. Um, I think it's important, obviously, to um, address all of the feedback, which you, or questions, concerns. Um, and I, I really applaud you for like doing it publicly at a board meeting so that everybody can you know, be kind of on the same page. Um, and I know, you know, sometimes schools get hundreds of, lots and lots of questions. So if they get in the habit of just like responding to everything all the time, it, it becomes a huge distraction and it takes away from the focus um, on the mission and vision learning and so but yet very important to address everything and so I, I just I think that it's that is a seems to be an effective way to to um, address concerns so I, I commend you on that I think that's, that's a very good way um, I guess that that's about it I guess the other final point is that as you know we complete we always fill out a rubric um, with feedback on the board and so are on, on the um, board meetings that we observe. And so we do consider that like job embedded training. And so, you know, for you to use as you see fit. Um, and so just pointing that out to make sure, hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Um, and you know, if it's not helpful, we would like to hear that. Um, and so, you know, be sure to let us know if our feedback that we're giving you is like not helpful, but we really think about it in two buckets, you know, the compliance, and those would be the things that, that definitely we would give the feedback on and that um, you would need to make sure to come into compliance with. But then there's also just kind of continuous improvement feedback. Um, so that would be just more, you know, take it or leave it. Here's what we, <laughs> here's the areas, um, here's some things that we think about running an effective meeting based on best practice. Um, and so it's kind of divided into those two sections. And so just, you know, making sure that as we go forward and then we give you that feedback, um, letting us, checking in again, just to make sure that it's useful and let us know. workforce plan is based off of what I read right through the grant. Some of the stuff was outdated, like No Child Left Behind. We're going away from No Child Left Behind, obviously. Um, that's getting put out of legislation and things, so there's no more No Child Left Behind. Um, so we'll look at that more closely, but otherwise the RTI and uh, all that is what I took exactly from. And that was actually 
made, we made sure that that was aligned to the um, contract <coughs> and our agreement to begin with when, when the grant writers wrote the grant. So, so, yeah. so we should be. We probably are really in season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the committee will look just to make uh -huh. sure. Just a, uh -huh. it, help, it just helps to have you know, um, things aligned. submissions for compliance in um, EpiCenter, and I just wanted to point out the board has submitted all of their board documents on time and accurately, so I just wanted to thank you for doing that. It makes everything so much easier for us and you. Um, yeah, so thanks for your presentation. Thank you. All right. The next agenda item is other items. Uh, you brought up a calendar item, Dan? Yeah. Um, January 2nd, um, I put on there that we were having... Um, on here it says it does say the revision is on January 2nd is no school um, before I had it as we had school and when I, we looked at all the districts obviously that was not supposed to be a school day so it's this is the correct revision so all that's changed on this calendar which will be posted is that January 2nd there's no school and that's the only change to the calendar so I mistakenly put school on January 2nd when there's no school. There's no schools that have school on January 2nd except for you. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> sorry, Jonathan. Um, but yeah, so I would like the board to approve the uh, revised um, calendar with just uh, January 2nd being off. I make a motion to approve the revised calendar with January off. Discussion? Discussion? setting up the school, worked very hard with Mr. Dan Harley, and uh, as we see, the school is going very successful. 
I received uh, comments from parents telling us how uh, how much their kids like the school and how they are feeling very comfortable with the educational process, uh, which reflects uh, the amount of efforts uh, that was done by Mr. Rizwan as well as the board and shows that the board did the right uh, governance and help to and support to Mr. Dan Harley and give him all the facilities that enabled him to have the school very successful. So I would like to thank him and uh, I wish him uh, good luck and uh, recover very soon. Thank you. Thank you. I was just wondering, because I was confused when we were at um, nominating the parent member, because I heard, what did I hear? I heard a second, then a nay, or discussion. What did, did that go as a discussion, or how did it go in the notes? Just out of curiosity, because I got kind of sidetracked when we did that. Was it I a nay, hear, or was it? I didn't hear any discussion. So the, the, he did ask for discussion. Nobody talked about it. There was no discussion. And my question is related to that. Looking at the uh, minutes that were approved from our la your last meeting, <laughs> our last meeting, your last meeting, the motion um, was approved to add two seats to the board. So I'm wondering what our plan is going forward to add that second seat. So uh, before, I think the board approved me. I got back to you November 30th. I'm Mr. Carter. <laughs> uh, can I answer the question? You have an answer. I think that uh, we will definitely need to address that. Um, and I think that we should uh, yeah, actually, Tamara, if you would Actually, you know, uh, thank you for your comments. And uh, uh, first of all, we were, I, I personally, I was a little uh, disappointed because I expected to see more uh, applications from parents as well as from teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see the community and parents very engaging with the board and trying to help and give their supportive and constructive feedback. However, we got only two. Uh, two uh, applications, even by mistake one of them was not apparent, uh, which we did not recognize. Uh, so I, I'm speaking about myself, I was disappointed uh, because we wanted to see a larger number of applications. However, I think what we need to do is uh, very soon to initiate the process calling for open seed. But I think the previous process, maybe we could not reach to the parents efficiently how we did what what we need to do we made the announcement we announced it but it seems maybe the period for application was uh, was very short so I think we may need to look for another process or the same process and make it longer so I think we should address this very soon and call for uh, a seat for a parent uh, member. Well, and I'm also wondering, I had heard earlier in the meeting, I'm not sure if it was part of the community comment, something about um, elections taking place in 
January and if that would be an option is I know it's November but to set that up and to say that we would like that seat filled in January and try an election process rather than an appointment process and see if we get a different result and um, in addition to that I think there was some confusion on the stipulation of parent versus community member with direct school investment in the I think that was a little unclear going forward. Um, as someone not on the board, it felt like, okay, we want people who are interested in being in the board who have a direct connection to the school, even though it wasn't laid out specifically as parents. So I'm just kind of curious of getting us a plan of what we're going to do, because we meet monthly. If we don't have some sort of a plan today, we're looking then at the end of December coming up with a plan, which will happen, which will happen, which will happen, and pretty soon we don't have our full board until April. And I'm also concerned that the parents are coming from a perspective and the teachers of, oh, we're adding two seats to the board, and then tomorrow it's going to be, well, we added one seat to the board. And I think if we have a plan, to address your concerns, Absolutely. then we can say this is why we did it and this is what we're going to do to fix that. So. Yes. So I, I completely agree with uh, Ms. Chairman and I completely agree with uh, Tamara as well. It seems like that they picked that time period was a little too short. Um, the process needs to be coming in. My, and it's my recommendation that I, I, I would recommend board meeting members to come to the PTAs, introduce themselves to the parents, um, show uh, them and ask some sort of presentation maybe what, what the requirement, what the school board is for, what are the different roles and responsibilities the board members does, how important it would be for parents to be part of board as Mr. Chairman mentioned that this is very important for board for to have a parent voice in the board. So I think that's lacking from the parents' community that maybe um, they don't realize that being a part of board, that they can make changes, they can um, help discovery charter schools to go successful and more successful. So, um, so I think that we need to have some sort of process, not defined today, but somewhere, so we need to have some sort of process I also, just responding to what you said about the numbers of people, I know, um, especially among parents, sometimes that thinking is, I support these two people that I know are interested, so rather than throwing my hat into the ring, I'm going to put my support behind them, and that, that could have been an element as to why you didn't have you know, 10 parents interested, because if they know these people and they say, oh, well, they're great people, I, yeah, okay, yeah, that they'd be great for the board. So they're, okay. I, you could interpret a parent's lack of interest at our meet and greet as a lack of interest or as support for the people they knew were going to be doing it. Okay. Right. And we don't know what it was. I just kind of like looking at it from a different perspective in the open mind of, well, it may not be from lack of numbers. It might have been because, of, well, if there were an election, I'd be voting for him or I'd be voting for her, so why would I show up? So, 
I don't want you to feel like people aren't interested and that's why the numbers are small. We don't really know what is behind it. Sure. I completely uh, I agree from your perspective, but uh, the other perspective I have, do we submit it for 193 bidders? Right. Would be upside. Anyway. Uh, I would like to repeat my comment that please show respect for the board meeting and ask permission from the board chair before. I think we've, we've heard a decent number of comments on this issue. Um, the addition of the parent chair could be addressed at the next meeting. And if, are there any other items? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, you can look at it.